Thanks to that piece of shit, Lieutenant, that's always uh, on his podcast. Bash us, fuck him. <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome to Newark's Finest Retired Unfiltered Podcast. This is 265 Police Live. I'm Eric Dimmitt, most complained cop, NYPD. Along with me is John McCarry, unemployed piece of shit lieutenant, NYPD, the founder and the co-host of the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I apologize. I lost my voice a bit, but it's important that we get this information out to you. John, how you doing, brother? Very well, my friend. Back up in the Northeast, New York City. Back and forth, tri-state area, Jersey, uh, PA, you know, so I'm visiting family and friends. So I'm up now, you know, making whatever uh, moves I got to make up here, which is a lot. So I've been busy, you know. Well, I think the first thing that we should talk about, there's a lot of stuff going on in the news. But the first thing I want to talk about, first of all, there was a tragic death. I'd like to honor Raul Colon, who recently retired from the NYPD and unfortunately met an untimely death due to a heart attack. Raul Colon passed away on his 10th day of retirement. He hasn't even received one pension check yet. It's a complete tragedy. It's unfortunate. There's a GoFundMe page right now. But what, what, I, what I would like to highlight is right now he will receive the death gamble because of his unfortunate timely death. But the union is unwilling to pay for his bur burial services because he's in retirement. Now, it's only the 10th day, and I think that this is where the PBA should step in and make an exception. So I believe what Arnold Schwarzenegger says, every rule was made to be broken. This is a rule that should be broken. John, what do you think? I think what's going to happen, you know, uh, Pat Lynch retired yesterday. Uh, John Puglisi retired. They had a big a big party for themselves. What's going to happen when Pat Lynch passes away? Are they going to pay for his his uh, funeral? I, I believe they're going to, and there's going to be a whole detail surrounded. He is a cop, served 20 years, city of New York honorably, retires 10 days after he retires has a massive heart attack while he's driving in the car with his son it's an absolute tragedy you know we sit there we're a family we'll always be there for you technically he's a member of the pba um if they couldn't pay for it if they couldn't pay for the funeral like they will pat lynch and john puglisi when they die if they couldn't extend that the least they could do is just acknowledge and get awareness out to what happened the story so everyone knows and just say, hey, the family set up a GoFundMe page. I don't believe that them as a union should set up a GoFundMe page to do that. I, I don't see how it could hurt to do that, um, to help the, his family and his children. But considering they're not willing to do that, uh, the least they could do is help spread awareness. And they're unwilling to, like every other thing, when it actually comes to supporting members that aren't that aren't in the upper echelon or aren't the children of executives or anybody else. I agree. The power of social media should be put out there for any assistance or any help with Raul Colon. But I'm going to say this. I'm going to make a strong statement and a bold statement. I think the PBA should step in and they should pay for these burial services. He passed away on his 10th day of retirement. In my, in my eyes, he never actually retired. He never received one pay, paycheck. That's not even a, a, a police department payroll period, which is a biweekly check. He never received a pension check. It's 10 days. It's absolutely nothing. I think the PBA should step in. And if anything, we should treat our retirees even better than we do our active members. The ultimate goal is to spend more time in retirement than you do on active duty. That's why we put that hard work in, and the ultimate goal is that pension. 
Yeah, but you know the, the the thing is that everyone's like, oh, he he retired, he's done, he's done. Oh, did he go take the test? If he didn't take the test, that's his fault. If he didn't go get a body scan, that's his fault. You know, you know, you know whose fault it is that he had a heart attack and died. It's the NYPD's fault that he had a heart attack and died. Um, if he didn't take a body scan, that just shows another failure on the part of our unions and on the part of our job to actually prepare us for retirement. As me and Eric have pointed out. When you go to retire, you literally have zero guidance. And I don't care what a way you go and, and, and retire if you get out for three quarters. I have people that get out on three quarters that are calling me for advice on what they should do because they can't get any guidance from their union. And I'm not just talking about the PBI. I'm talking about every union. They can't get any guidance from the union and they can't get any guidance from the pension section. Why are they coming to two retire guys when all these people are making big, big money? Um they're sitting on their ass. Their job is to be customer service to help you retire and get out. They should be walking you through. That should be a required thing for you to go get a body scan before you get out. But they don't want to because that'll cost the city money. And we know the unions work for the city. So your interest is not their first is not their first uh, goal. The first goal is to is to protect the politicians. And we clearly see Eric Adams in his ugly suit jacket last night at Pat Lynch's at Pat Lynch's retirement party where it was held in a cafe con some frito. Which, in all reality, if I was the police commissioner, it would be an unlawful location. It wouldn't even be off limits to whoever goes. That would be completely unlawful for you to go there. Absolutely. You're 100% right. I think that in retirement, it's almost that like the door hits you in the ass on the way out. When you call the retirement counseling section, John and I have spoken about this on an earlier podcast. If you ask questions, you will be met with resistance and reluctance from Sergeant Kathleen Russell, who offers zero help, zero guidance. If anything, they're annoyed if you ask any questions. It's supposed to be, it's called the retirement counseling. They don't count you on anything. They do your paperwork and they want you to hit you, hit the door, hit you in the ass and the door on the way out. When you actually retire, when you go to one police plaza, it's one day, it's so cold, no one provides you any guidance. You walk out on your own and it's pretty much, it's not even a goodbye. It, it, you're forgotten as you're online retiring. They could care less about you. Yeah, so I mean, if if you guys could, if you if you have it in your heart, even if it's five dollars, ten dollars, if you could go uh, to my Twitter or my Instagram page, we have Raul Colon's uh, GoFundMe page up there for the money is being uh, ran to go towards his family. His family's running it. You know, we're just trying to spread awareness on it, considering the people that have a major, huge platform that pretend that they sit there and we're always a family and we love cops and we're always going to do things for cops. And nobody even is raising awareness to that the incident even happened. This is a tragedy. They could use the power of the media to get this out. But instead, you just have me and Eric Two retired lieutenants doing that. And on top of that, Eric, uh, could you let them know about what, what members of his own command are telling us? Well, exactly. That was the other thing I'd like to highlight. So from a good, a, an extremely credible source of information, <clears throat> excuse me, extremely credible source of information that the members of his own command are unable to get a day off to attend his funeral. And he works for the pound. It's an, it's an inside gig, right, to our cops out there that know that terminology. For our cops out there, what does that mean? He's not assigned to a precinct. He's assigned to an administrative position, which should be no issues on getting a day off. But we know right now because it's such a diminished police department that it's impossible to get a day off. Everyone is overworked. So here a police officer passed away on his 10th day of retirement, and his fellow cops that work with him cannot attend the funeral because they need to be at work because the police department is at a decline of numbers of manpower 
which they're not talking about right now. So the cops are overworked. They talk about mental health. They can't attend their own funeral of this police officer. And also, I have credible information that some of the bosses are so timid that they're afraid to tell their commanding officers that these cops need to take a day off. And they're not even asking. They're just telling them that you can't take the day. Weak and cowardice leadership. Again, we have all of these. We have all of these these organizations set up. Pro police, back to blue, blue lives matter, whatever the hell you want to call them. We do everything when cops die out of state. We do everything for sick children. What do we do to help our own members? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely, especially in retirement. I mean, when your ailments come, what do we do? We strip them of the health care. So screw those retired guys. It's coming for you. By the way, Marianne Pizzatola won uh, an injunction. So if she didn't defeat the fact that your retirement health care will be protected when you're 65 or if you're on three quarters disabled. She didn't actually defeat it. But right now there's an injunction in place. She's fighting it in court because it's completely illegal, because it's written into law that we in retirement, we will have the same health care as the people who are active. But they're coming for your health care, too. So you guys can keep thanking Mayor Adams. You could keep thanking Pat Lynch. You could keep getting up in front of a microphone and saying things while they're stabbing you in the back behind the scenes. Keep thanking them. Keep being on the bandwagon. Keep talking about me and Eric that we're retired now. It's fine. We were still better cops than you are, even that, that you're active. So you could keep smacking, smacking stupid comments that make no sense and uh, choking yourself on Eric Adams and Pat Lynch because it's disgusting. All you people doing it are disgusting. You're selling out your own membership. I have no I have no love for you. In light of that, I, I just like to say, on behalf of New York's Finance Retirement Filter Podcast, we honor the life of Raul Colon and his family. And please, anyone out there, if you could help, just a little bit helps. And if you can't help financially, if you could help by promoting it on social media and help this cop, his family needs your help. It's 10th day of retirement. Please, and to the PBA out there, help Raul Colonna's family. Show it by helping them with financial needs. Don't just say that they're getting the death, death gamble because it's not enough. It really is. It's not sufficient, and they need your help. This is the time to step in. I'm watching you. Oh, they, think it, they think it's enough to just make a phone call to the family. Oh, yeah, we care. But we're too busy, though, because we had to throw Pat Lynch a, a huge, huge, huge retirement party at a place that should be unlawful. And where did the proceeds go? How much were they charge a ticket? Where did the proceeds go for that retirement <laughs> We gave Pat Lynch more money. The guy who's a millionaire off of, off of a cop's salary when these cops are starving, when he was getting two salaries, he held them out for six years. I mean – they basically got what they got six. What they got six contracts in twenty three years when they should have probably had at least twelve. You know, at least twelve contracts they should have had every two years. I mean, he stalled out, but well, he didn't care because he's getting double salary, whatever else. And watch who he goes works for. Watch. Let's let's see what the misinformation is then. Let's see what he's doing in retirement. I guarantee he's going to make even more money in retirement. But it was very important that we collect the money of that door to give him a big send off and give him even more money on his way out. I hope you choke on it, Pat. You too, John. I don't really care. Hopefully, you could take it with you. Exactly, brother. Well, again, like I said, we uh, honor the life of Raul Cologne. Let's uh, let's go on to the next topic here. There's a lot of news going on here. Let's talk about the mayor and the crime crisis that's going on in New York City. And what we hear right now is crime perception versus reality. And that's something that's been in Fox News. It's been in the papers. But if you ask me, I'm going to tell you right now, that came straight from your source, New York's Finance Retirement Filter Podcast. You heard it here first. We talked about it on social media. We've been talking about it on the podcast. It, these numbers that they've been providing to you, they're semantics. 
And is this perception or this was reality? What do you think, John? So let's give let's give the reality. Let's give the reality of what it is, right? Crimes down, crimes down, crimes down. Everybody that's a critic, I don't care what side of the aisle they're on, left or right, is telling you crimes down, crimes down. But I shared two days ago, I shared the NYPD Comstat sheet. Overall, major crime is down 0.16% for year-to-date numbers, meaning as of this, as of this term, this time last year, believe the last sheet was as of July 7th. So as of July 7th last year, overall crime is down 0.016%. And I'm sorry, that's overall major crime. That does not count misdemeanors and all this. This is other overall major crime. For a two-year period, crime is up over 38%. For a four-year period, which they didn't show, it's up over 100%. It's not even all listed on the CompStat sheet. Well, it's a major problem. Again, that's this just goes back to what I've been saying. It's semantics. And any statistics can be manipulated. And they're being manipulated in the situation to give the illusion to the public that, hey, your, your worries, you know what? They're unnecessary. You're going by what you, you saw because of what you heard. And, it's, and, they, and they're being told about this fear-mongering. But the numbers right now are reflective of what's going on. What's going on is on the misdemeanor level, Low-level crimes are not being addressed, and they're, they're, they've been decriminalized, and we're not addressing these issues. We're not making arrests. We're not issuing summonses. We're not having those encounters. We just see the streets are embodied by mentally deranged, homeless, the poverty, the deterioration of the subways, the, just like the, the vile appearance of the city in itself, and that eerie feeling that you may be a victim or that you have to have that chip on your shoulder I mean, John, you know, you're there right now, and you've had to look over your shoulder much more in the past. You feel it coming back from Florida, and in the amount of time that you've been separated from New York, you and I have spoke numerous times offline, and you can see the difference. And that is correlated with these combat numbers. If they want to say that it's down 0.16%, what is it really down from? When crime is on such an uptick as it is right now, it's the correlate if someone is gaining an excessive amount of weight. They're going to have waves where they go up and down. Well, they'll lose a period, and then they'll go right back up to it, and sometimes even more. But that's exactly what's going up and what's happening right now. Is crime is so much on the rise that we're having waves where it comes up and down. It's in incidental. It's not because of what the police are doing right now and how the legislation is ripping from the police department. It's just the effect of the tidal wave. But right now, the crime itself is ultimately on an uptick. You will see waves coming down. But crime is up, and the city is completely volatile right now. I think we're in a major crisis. Absolutely. And to, and to sit there and want to pat on the back because crime's down 0.16% for year to date and sit there and say how the media is doing a disservice and how are you going to paint this picture? It's up to you to paint this picture to let New Yorkers know that this is this is what it is and New Yorkers are feeling fear. And these are tough people. I mean, New York people are, you know, their 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 lower middle class income come from immigrant families who come to the city with no money. They lived, they grew up around the mafia if they actually lived here for a time. They grew up in a crime ridden city and they're telling you, I don't feel I don't feel I I've never felt so unsafe in New York City. They don't care about the crime numbers because the perception is what it is. The quality of life in New York City is way down. There is no way to effectively 
capture that. And we're not going to capture that just by crime numbers. You're going to capture that by actually listening to New Yorkers and talking to them. And when anyone says anything that they don't feel safe, whether they're a Democrat, they're a liberal, they're a far left, uh, far left radical, whoever it is, whoever is saying it, it's going to be, oh, that's a right wing Fox News talking point. When, you know, again, we, we already said that we don't even watch Fox News. So it's like we don't even watch the news. I don't have the news. Eric doesn't have the news. We, you know, we, we, we were cops. We were the news forever. Now we're actually being the news again because we're letting you know actually what's going on. But again, like I said, and, that, and the reason being is news has become a religion. If you believe in the left, you watch CNN. If you believe in the right, you watch Fox News. If you believe in conspiracies, you might watch QAnon. So it's become a religion. We don't know what's real anymore. That's why it's important that John and I are speaking out. Right now, listen, I got a bad cold right now. I apologize for my voice. But it's important that I fight through this and provide you the information and we talk about the truth. Because the numbers that we see right now are not reflective of what's actually going on in the city. Understand that when they talk about major crime, and John, you and I spoke about this offline, they've actually shifted that terminology now to violent crime. So the reason why I think they're also saying that violent crime is down is because stolen cars, which is Grand Lossy Auto, is through the roof in New York City. So they can easily retract from that and say, well, that's not violent crime. That's a major crime, but it's not violent. Any crime that is a major crime is violent. If it impedes on your life, if someone takes your property, that's something that you worked for, that the feeling that you have to go through, the inconvenience of having to go through your insurance company, and always feeling that your stuff is never secure again. Once someone becomes a victim of property or their own body, it changes their lives forever on the way they see things and the way they feel things. It's completely out of control. And when I say now, what is worse about the crime uptick that we see now compared to the early 90s and the 70s? For the most part, the crime was, it was kind of isolated to specific areas in the city. But right now, what I see is that Every area in the city is being affected by this crime rise. John, you're on Staten Island right now, and you said it. Where you are, you can see the homelessness in spots you never saw before. All the areas, every precinct in the New York City metropolitan area is being affected by this crime crisis. It's not isolated just to black and brown neighborhoods. It's the entire city. I mean, Staten Island, I've seen homeless that I've never seen. They're not from there. I, I know everybody in Staten Island. I was a cop there eight years I'm very observant. I was always an outgoing person. I know thousands and thousands of people on Staten Island. I know business owners. I've never seen homeless on Staten Island until Bill de Blasio became the mayor about four years into it. Now they're everywhere. They flood Highland Boulevard. They flood all the major areas. It's almost like it's their job to be in a parking lot and ask you for money everywhere you go. You know, so you see that. I'm seeing open hand-to-hands. And I know it's not just for marijuana, like, and I know marijuana is legal. And that's another thing I'll talk about in a second. But I see open hand to hands going on right on Highland Boulevard, right on Seaview Avenue on Highland Boulevard, right at that corner of 7-Eleven, right where that closed Dunkin' Donuts is. I mean, I'm not kidding. I can make 15, 20 arrests a day just, just in drugs. And, and you, you don't, and, you know, and we talk about the, the grand larceny from auto and the grand larceny of auto and the pettit larceny from auto and the burglaries all which are up tremendously on Staten Island. Who's responsible for it? The homeless and the drug addicted. It's not hard. So when we're saying, oh, drug use is fine, okay, then guess what? You're going to be dealing with your car getting broken into, stolen, and you're going to be getting dealt with your house broken into. And that's not even the, the, that's not even the crime that they're even talking about. They're like, oh, yeah, but 
don't worry about that crime because violent crime is down. It's down right now. Get a date. Wow. I, I mean, I mean, Eric, if you were the police commissioner, I was the mayor and I appointed you the police commissioner. And I asked you how crime was and crime was down year to date overall point zero point one six percent. Would you feel how would you feel about that? Would you feel that that's a victory? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's not a victory. And what I don't like, I'm glad that you asked that. What I don't like is how they compare, they'll compare to particular years that make it convenient so the police department can show a major change and a major drift in the percentages to show a, a decline in crime. But it's not relevant. It's, it, you know, if we compare, for instance, if we compared crime in 1993 to what's going on right now, obviously the crime numbers are are probably much higher in 1993. I don't have the compensation sheet in front of me. The murders were higher, but it's a different world. We can't even, we can't compare. I mean, 1993, no one's carrying cell phones. Maybe some people, very wealthy, but the average person's not carrying a cell phone in 1993. They're carrying pages. They're carrying beepers. Now everyone has a cell phone. It's a different world. We can't even compare. We have to compare what's relevant. I think right now what we should compare 2023 numbers. I like to compare and see the numbers 2018, 2019, pre-pandemic, before the world went entirely crazy, before all the legislation had changed the New York City Police Department and the police departments in democratic cities throughout the entire country. Before the country just went completely mad and nothing made sense. That's what we should compare. Because 2018 and 2023 is a five-year span. The technology is the same. The way people move, the way people think. But yet, it's completely just changed. The economy has changed. The politics, everything has changed with post-pandemic, post-George Floyd rights. And that's where we need to compare. And what I like to say also, when it comes to low-level crimes, marijuana, you and I have spoken about marijuana on this podcast numerous times. And I've been pretty expressive to say, I don't think marijuana should be illegal. However, it should be appropriate. And what I say by this, there's a time and place for it. I don't think everyone should be smoking marijuana in the, in the streets to where it becomes, it, it, it kind of, it desecrates for the neighborhoods. And when I say that, I can make this correlation that, you know what, it's appropriate to have gentlemen's clubs. It's appropriate to have uh, uh, male strip clubs for women. But we don't just put it on any street corner. Usually it's more secluded, right? There's a time and place for it. So it just as adults, sometimes we, we speak much differently than we do in front of our kids. Is it completely inappropriate? No, but it's meant for adults. It's not meant for kids. So there's a time and place for everything. And there's a time and place for marijuana. It's an effect in our streets right now. And it's affecting our crime numbers. It's, uh, I, it's something I can't get used to. I'm, I'm telling you, I know it's legal, but it doesn't mean it's right. You know, you're walking down the block. You see kids and you see adults too, rolling up, breaking up marijuana, rolling it up, like out in the open. Mothers are walking by with their babies. Um, there's there's uh, elderly walking by every New York City park. The air reeks of marijuana. I mean, it's to the point I'm going in and out of stores and people are like this <laughs> and throwing it. And then, you know, the stupid the, the stupid vape pens are another thing. Um, you can't even smell that. Like, I don't know if that's whatever they're smoking. You know, you know, we used to smoke tobacco that tasted like tobacco. These kids are smoking uh, strawberry shortcake and all this other shit. I don't <laughs> know what the hell, what, what they're even smoking out of it. But I mean, I see people with, with legitimate joints and blunts smoking it like it's no big deal, flicking it on the floor. I mean, the, 
it's dirt. The city looks dirty. It's not because I've been in Florida. I lived in I lived in New York City for 42 years. It's the only place I've ever lived. I know everything. I, I understand. I've went on numerous vacations. I know that New York City is always going to be dirty. The amount of people, the density, but it looks terrible right now. There are closed up businesses everywhere. There are businesses that are closed up in places where I would sit and go, wow, if that ever, if that ever, if that ever comes up for sale, I'm going to buy it because that spot, especially that Dunkin' Donuts that I talked to, uh, talked about on the tweet. I'm like that, that, that spot is a gold mine. Pizzeria on my old corner out of business. Another place I considered a gold mine. And I'm not a dumb person. I, I've called things in real estate and in places on how it was going to go up. And I've made very good moves, both in real estate and both in the stock market. So I know what I'm I so now when I see this this thing that I was like, wow, I'm like looking at something that I thought was Apple stock four years ago, and I'm watching it be complete trash like a penny stock. There's a big problem in New York City. You know, if New York City was a stock today, I would be shorting it. Let's go back to what you said, because I really agree with this, right? Just because it's legal doesn't make it right, right? Like, for instance, there's always been an argument. So since 1992, court case defined that it's legal for women to walk topless in New York City, right? It's totally legal. But, you know, and and listen, you know, I'm a man. I mean, who doesn't want to see a woman topless? However, there's a time and place for it. You know, we don't want what women walking flooded through the entire streets of New York City walking topless when there's kids around in schools. It's not appropriate. Now it's totally legal. Since nineteen ninety two, a a woman can walk completely topless in New York City. But is that the time and place for it? It's not appropriate. So it makes people uncomfortable. I mean, if I was walking down the street on on on, on a busy street, I would be uncomfortable if women were walking topless because now I, I can't look directly on it. It's gonna make you uncomfortable. It's the same thing. If you're walking in a particular location and there's a group of men or women or whatever, kids, smoking marijuana, even though it's legal, you're going to be uncomfortable because you look in that direction. What are you thinking? What's around it? What type of people are, are hanging out in the corner smoking marijuana who don't care about the neighborhood? What else are they up to? That's what you're thinking. Absolutely. I mean, what do you think about and what do you think? I know we talked about it on the last episode, but what do you think about Shell going on this whole media tour? basically promoting car chases saying we're going to car chase we, we don't really chase people we follow we're trained what do you think about that you know what the police department needs strong leaders that are going to back their guides up and and rile them up to be motivated and dedicated to do police work right we need warriors to do real police work real intrusive proactive police work in new york city now so what i say is i support his rah-rah ideology i think he really believes that he wants to do the right thing. He wants to lead the men and women. He wants to produce results, right? He wants to he wants to impress the mayor, impress his bosses. I think he wants to be, impress himself. He wants to impress the men and women that are working for him in a, in a high-paced unit, especially with a bunch of rookies and show off. And I think he legitimately wants to help out when it comes to public safety. However, I think he's being completely idiotic, and, and he's he's dumb to the fact that he's being used. Because the data shows it, right? We saw numerous articles. We, I even read a, a book about the civil liability of police officers engaged in car pursuits, written by Sergeant Thompson from a, a police department, uh, a small town police department throughout the country. And in most cases, pretty much what it comes down to is it's a don't do it policy. 
Because every time you engage in a car pursuit, you're putting your own life at risk. We just had a police officer in Minneapolis last week who was convicted for tragically killing someone in an intersection while he was engaged in a car pursuit chasing a stolen car, and he was convicted of criminal negligent homicide. That was in Minneapolis. So what do you think is going to happen when Chief Shell's rallying up these troops, these young young rookies in khakis, and they go out in a car pursuit, and someone dies, and it's first page of the entire news in the entire world of New York City where someone dies at the hands of a police officer. What do you think is going to happen? They're 100% going to get indicted. I, I, I think Chief Shell will protect his guys. He seems like he seems like he is a leader, you know, as far as that he wants to he wants he wants to produce public safety for New York City. I don't I don't think that Chief Shell is happy with a 0.16% decrease in crime. I think that he sees what's going on in New York City. He's a lifelong New Yorker. He wants to bring crime down. I do think this is the exact wrong way to do it. He has not talked about changing the New York City, uh, the NYPD patrol guide policy as, as in regards to chase, where basically every chase you're conducting is basically telling you not to do it unless it's an extreme circumstance. And I got to say, even in times of broken windows in a Rudy Giuliani policy, I think it's kind of dumb to tell you guys, yeah, it's okay to chase people. I do. I, I think it's a dumb statement. I don't think you guys should be doing it. I I personally think, I, you know, I wouldn't want to live with it, whether I got prosecuted or not, if a young child or anybody, anybody for that many, any New York City resident gets killed in, in a car crash, whether it be because I struck them or because the perpetrator I was following struck them. You know, and, and even even half the times, like it might even be a young kid in that car. I don't want to see them dead either. Like, you know what I mean? They're dumb. They're scared. You know, so I, I just think I, I kind of agree. I'm all for broken windows. I'm all for let's go out and get them. I'm all for action should have consequences. I'm not for police pursuits, Dukes of Hazard style in the five boroughs in New York City. I mean, again, like you just said, that was Minneapolis. That's the density is not even close to what we have here. It's dangerous. I think it's dumb. I think his whole media campaign is dumb. It will be used against him and it will be used against you. And that patrol guide order will be used against you. Um, I, you know, we, we got a rumor. Chief Shell is going to be the new chief of department. Jeffrey Madry is going to be the PC. It's from a pretty credible source. I don't know that it's 100 percent going to happen. But the same person that told me that has told me numerous things, including 24 hours prior to Keychan Sewell resigning. So I, I kind of think that this is a good source and Caban's going to go back to being the first dep. Um, and I, like I said, if, if now you're the chief of department, you, you could change policy. You could change policy as a chief of patrol. If this is what you want to do, I, I understand he will protect his members as far as when it comes to the job, but he's not going to be able to keep you safe from the district attorney. He's not going to be able to keep you safe from politicians and he's not going to be able to keep you safe from CCRB. Well, here's the problem. You and I talk about weak leadership all the time. This job is full of weak managers, right? Managers manage things. Leaders manage people. Now, from what I see, Chief Shell seems like, he actually seems like he's a good guy. He seems like he's a stand-up guy. And I don't think he's exhibiting weak leadership attributes. But what I do think he's exhibiting is poor leadership attributes. And I do think this is a poor leadership decision. Why? It's important as a leader, yes, to be influential to your men and women. So he is influ influential. He's getting these rookies to go out there and do real police work. But what it takes also to be a good leader is to make the 
make decisions that are in the best interest of your people and the balance, the best interest of your people and also public safety. So for him to tell them to go out to do these car, these car pursuits is not in their best interest. And this is my correlation. Right? I was in the Marine Corps. If we were in the heat of battle right now and we were at the bottom of a hill and we had to get to the top of a hill to get to the other side, if I knew on the other side that there were gunmen with machine guns and that it's impossible for my men to make it to the other side without dying, that it's just completely impossible. If I rile them up and tell them to go up that hill and that's how we're going to save this world, well, you know what? I'm not putting their, their interest at best. I'm putting them to the, I'm sending them to their own death. I'm sending them to their own slaughter. So that's exactly what he's doing. He's sending these cops to their own slaughter because if they continue this practice, it's the laws of probability say someone's going to die tragically and they're not going to face just termination. They're going to face the criminal justice system. Look at all these articles to the cops out there. Listen to me. Look at all these co these articles right now. If you want, John and I will put on the website. Numerous cops are being convicted, and there's a book you need to read about the civil liability of car pursuits, and you're putting yourself at risk. So think about it. Yeah, I mean, and speaking of the criminal justice system, I mean, because that's a major component to all of this, right? And that's not being weighed at all. What's happening to all these people that are committing unauthorized use, that are driving around with fake plates, that are driving around with forged plates, that are driving around with no plates, no insurance, no registration, people that are crashing, the people that are driving recklessly and hitting somebody? What is actually happening to them in the criminal justice system? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So, you know, you're, you're making the correlation of war. And even in that dire circumstance where it's life and death on the line, right? This is something we need to win this battle. You're saying I would be smarter. I wouldn't send them out to their death. I know if, if that was the last case scenario, that, I mean, that's what we would have to do. I was stormed the beaches of Normandy, right? I mean, that was, you know, that was nobody wanted to see it, but they had, you know, they had, they saved the world from, from a, a tyrannical dictator who would have took over the world. And none of us would be sitting here, especially you, Eric, even though you get accused of being a proud boy, uh, a white supremacist, you know, a, a Jewish guy or me. I mean, you know, they would have killed Mussolini too, you know, <laughs> so, um, you know, so, but this isn't, this isn't that, right. This isn't that, this is a minor infraction. And I do agree with his stance on crime. We need to, we need to, we need to stop it. We need to cut it at the roots and we need to arrest people. And it needs to be consequences for action, but that's the only consequence that will be had because our, our five borough district attorneys aren't doing their job. And that's not being weighed into that decision. And that's again, leading you into, into further failure. So. Well, I, he, he, look ahead. Nah, that's it. But he's, he's definitely aware of the civil liability because in the interview where he talks about car pursuits, right? Not the one that Tom said in the interview where, where he's talking about it. He said that when we engage these per pursuits, we're not always on their tail that we hang back. And the reason why he said that is because he realized the message that he's put out in the public and he can never play this back because of the civil liability. Because, and what's important also, that the cops understand, understand and not just the cops, the low-level supervisors, the frontline managers. In this book where it talks about the car pursuits, who's also held liable is not just the cops that were in these pursuits, but they're Leaders, their sergeants, their lieutenants were also held liable because as a supervisor, you have a duty to call off these pursuits. 99 times, 99 times out of 100, these pursuits need to be terminated. Why? Because it says, does it outrage the totality of risk to the public? 
in almost any case, this is pretty much subjective. In almost any case, we can say that it doesn't outweigh the risk to the public, even if there is a homicide. As crazy as that sounds, but not in every case. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, and, and that goes for anything, really. I mean, just because your supervisor is telling you to do something doesn't mean it's in your best interest. The majority of time, it's going to be in their best interest. You know, I did work with a lot of great supervisors in, in, during my tenure, but I worked with a lot of awful ones, too. I worked with a lot of guys that became sergeants and lieutenants that had seven collars. They had Pat Lynch numbers, five collars, Eric Adams, 11 arrests. And they really didn't understand they didn't understand what probable cause was, how to get to probable cause, what evidence needed to be gathered, what should be vouchered as far as arrest evidence, investigatory evidence. They didn't understand any of it, you know, but yet they're telling you things that are ridiculous. And you're like, you don't even know what you're talking about. And when you're on the stand, that's not going to fly. So don't tell me how to testify when you've never testified. Don't tell me how to draw up a case when your sergeant handed you five calls. You know, and it was they were all DV. Don't tell me how to how to do jobs like that. And and that's kind of what, you know, again, I, I, I think it is poor leadership. And that's what you're seeing. I, and, I, and I don't think it's in the best interest of public safety either to tell to, to rah rah these cops up to uh, to do car pursuits. And, you know, and, and, and in his defense, and I'm not defending his, his stance here at all, because I, I do think it's dumb. I think it's a dumb stance. But in his defense, I know a lot of people that work for him personally, whether it was in the squad, when he was in precincts, when he was CEO places. Everyone really does like him. They say he's a good leader. Um, but I just think he's, he's, he's tremendously short-sighted. And I think the whole media campaign he did after we, we did a podcast on it last time, I think it just showed how real short-sighted he is. I think it was dumb. I think a lot of people will live to regret following what he's saying right now. It sounds great. It sounds rah-rah. It's completely, it's completely moronic. It's important. I think what we're missing here is an important element. It's important to be influential and to motivate your people. Yes, we need to motivate them. We need to make them warriors to go out there to do a difficult job, especially in the environment that they're in right now. But what goes along with that also is so important is that we teach discipline. And the way that he's talking is we're going to produce this reckless type of environment. We, we don't want the cops being reckless. Yes, we got to go out there. That's why I say there's a difference. There's a dichotomy between being aggressive control and being out of control. So we want them aggressive going out there making these stops, interacting with the public. But we don't want to hit that fine line where we're out of control. So it's important that we have discipline. It, it, this is the best correlation I could give. When I was the anti-crime sergeant and the special operations lieutenant, and John, I know that you know this also. Anytime you get a new guy to the unit, especially if they were very active on patrol in a busy precinct, when you're doing anti-crime work, you have to have what's called radio discipline. So everyone wants to be all over the place to help in every spot. But if you try to be all over the place, you absolutely what happens is you act, you accomplish nothing. If you try to be in everywhere, every location, the precinct, you accomplish nothing. So what I mean by that is anyone out there who's doing neighborhood safety or, or public safety or just wants to do that type of police work, intrusive police work. So what that means is when you're out there with your team and you're addressing, you're doing some surveillance or you're watching some guys that look suspicious to you. And you hear a gun run on the other side of the precinct. It does no good if you immediately run to that location. And it turns out that's a bullshit call. And the location you were sitting on, two people die because there was some gun incident that happened there. So that's what I'm talking about, discipline. Sometimes there's more discipline and you're actually more effective when you shelter in place 
than if you guys are taking off like maniacs. Your hearts are in the right place, but discipline is the key to success, especially in crime fighting. Do you agree, John? 100%. I agree. I agree. If I was the mayor, listen, I'd, I'd, I'd probably make Chief Shell either the, the PC or the chief of the department, but I would definitely – I would definitely tone them down until the, the, the politics of New York City change. And even when they do, I still don't agree that this is a this is a good tactic. I still don't want to see somebody die. Anybody, civilian, a cop, a perp. I don't want to see anybody die for a minor a minor thing. Something retarded doesn't make sense. Something that's that's just not. It's not going to get drawn up. Even when we're proactively pursuing crime, we have district attorneys that are willing to hold people accountable. I don't. I don't think it's an overall good policy. I wouldn't be patting myself on the back of the six hundred percent increase in, in car chases. I wouldn't go out on doing the media tour. I do agree with Ray Kelly's style of of uh, of being the police commissioner, where he didn't let these guys talk because honestly, they shouldn't be talking because this this will be used against him. There's been incidents already where these guys have gotten into accidents, and people's careers will be affected, and their lives are already affected because people have lost their lives already. So I don't think we need to talk about any more of it. I mean, uh, that's all I One got. more thing. Wait, wait, wait. One more thing. Because you and I were talking about this offline. I just want us both to talk about this here. It's very important for the cops to understand. Every time you engage into a car pursuit, if that car pursuit ends into something tragic, despite what the probable cause of the crime, of the nature of the crime that you're in pursuit of, you are ultimately breaking the law to make that pursuit. And that will be used heavily against you. In your, in your trial, they will say that Eric Dim, uh, Eric Dim disobeyed five red traffic lights, driving recklessly at a, a speed excessive of more than 40 miles per hour over the speed limit, that you disregarded the pavement markings, that you, you had a depraved indifference to life. Do you agree on this? I believe that all these factors will be a conglomerate used at your trial when you were ultimately convicted. So you just painted out exactly what that is because you're 100% right. You are breaking the law, even though you're a police officer. What uh, Eric just described is called reckless endangerment, reckless driving. And then as a death occurs because of the crime you committed, what is that, Eric? That's you manslaughter. That's manslaughter. And that's exactly what you'll be charged and tried with. And I do think if the video comes, even though you, you're doing it in the, out of the goodness of your heart. You're trying to get a bad guy. You're trying to clean up the streets. I mean, look at what's being reported. Look at what look at look at the the, the light that the New York City Police Department's being painted in. Look at what your local news stations are saying. Look at what your local politicians are saying. Look what even some of the police leaders are saying. And look at your mayor, by the way. Look at who this guy was. Don't look at what he says sometimes. Look at what he says all the time. Look at what he says all the time. Look what he's done in his career. This guy is not a, a pro-police uh, mayor at all. He's an anti-police. He's a racist. I mean, wake up. Wake up. Yeah. Don't let them bamboozle you. Don't let them gaslight you. We talk about that all the time, being gaslit. Don't believe everything you hear. And if you're believing everything you hear, ask yourself, honestly, sit there right now after this podcast and ask yourself, do you really believe what they're telling you or do you want to believe it because it solidifies your mission out there in life, you want to pretend because it makes you feel better. Just like John and I, the stuff that we say in this podcast, everyone I worked with was saying the same things. We all talked about in the locker room. And I've lost numerous friends 
since we started doing this podcast who were saying the same exact things that John and I were saying. But now that we're saying it publicly, they don't want to fall in line because they want to pretend their life is a, is a lie. And they don't want to speak the truth because they have to get themselves up every morning to go to work and to feel good about what they're doing. So if they ignore John and I or say, hey, we're assholes, it makes themselves feel better. Absolutely. I went to the... I went to the smoker at Anton's in Queens. Uh, very good. I appreciate all the support. But it, it was weird, man. All the support came from people I don't know. Uh, all the people that I do know pretended like they didn't see me. These are people that I, I've, I've spoken with at length. I've worked with. Um, I supervised. They supervised me. Uh, they ignored me. Like, you know, like I, like I was a pariah. Um, you know, I know they, I know for a fact, they listen to this podcast. I know they follow me on social media and, but they were afraid to say hello to me. They were afraid to be seen in public with me. Um, and that just speaks to your own, you know, I didn't feel bad about it at all. That just speaks to who you are as a person. You know, you're not, you're not somebody that, that, that really has a spine. You know, you're not someone that has a spine. You can't say, oh, well, I don't, whether you agree with me or not, like, you know, we, we could, this, we could argue in the car, but because now. I'm no longer on the job and I'm saying things that we've talked about ourselves. You're too afraid to come next to me. So, I mean, but I did, you know, the event was great. It was run by a uh, Lieutenant Dave C, Pat Russo, and New York city cops and kids. It was a really great event. There was a lot of people from the community there, a lot of kids from the community there. Um, it was an overall great atmosphere and, you know, a hundred percent, you know, I, oh, I felt the love and support for the work that me and Eric are doing as well. Yeah, I like to say shout out to Dave Steve, shout out to Pat Russo for what you guys are doing. It's so impressive. First of all, they're bringing a positive energy to the police department and to the public. What you're doing is so important, especially, you know, Ernest Ernest Hemingway used to say say there's nothing more natural than two men that are engaging in a ring. You make the best friends in life in 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 a, in a sporting event, especially a contact sport event as boxing or jujitsu or wrestling. I've boxed for many years. Uh, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for many years, Krapaga, and those are the best friends I've ever had in the Marines. When you engage in physical contact, physical confrontation, and uh, physical combat, those are the best friends. There's, there's no question afterwards. We don't have to question and have that uncomfortable feeling of, of well, who's the hierarchy here. It's two men that engage in battle, and usually those guys make the best friends I want to thank them for what they do. Also, you make people believe in this, believe in themselves. For guys that have never competed in a sport or never boxed, for them to put those gloves on and to get that nervous feeling and to have an opportunity to, to give themselves a goal, maybe to lose weight or get stronger or face their fears. For some people, getting hit in the face may be the worst fear of their life. So my, I tip my hat to anyone that, that got into that ring, even if it's a minute, two minutes, people love to say things. God bless you, because what you did is you gave yourself a challenge and you confronted your own demons. When you go in that ring, if anything, yes, you have an opponent, but you're facing your own demons and your own challenges. And I think this is phenomenal for mental health. Anyone that's experiencing any type of mental health issues, I think you should engage in a smoker or some type of event and challenge yourself. And you'll be so busy preparing for that goal that you won't have the time to worry about your anxiety and your problems. So again, to Dave Seed and Pat Russo, Thank you for what you do. I think it's extremely special. I really do. And, and uh, I want to honor you for that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Give them a follow at, uh, at Smoker Talk on Instagram. Uh, they're also Smoker Talk on Facebook. And you could see that that video replayed on their Facebook at Smoker Talk. 
smoker talk if i'm saying it weird um but the, the video was great and honestly the fights were awesome uh fight of the night definitely goes to the last fight of the uh, of the night i mean that was tremendous uh citywide crt lieutenant uh i know the kid nicholas stepanopoulos he uh you know he two big guys he fought his opponent he winded up winning he uh you know in 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 extraordinary fashion he knocked him down uh you know he he, he actually got the guy he had a standing count that the guy came back. He was fought, he fought hard. So, but definitely hundred percent, whether you win or lost shout out to everybody, but definitely fight of the night was that last fight. It was, it, it was a good, it was a good fight. They were, they were throwing haymakers at each other and they were too big. They were two big boys. So it, it was, it was, uh, it was fun, but all the fights were really fun. I actually really enjoyed it. I was at a UFC event two weeks earlier in Florida and I actually, and I'm not, I'm not even just saying it. I, I honestly enjoyed the, the, the smoker more. It was more fun. And the energy in the crowd was just really there. You know, it was just cops letting loose, uh, reacting. And, and even the people that were just there from the neighborhood were, were having a great time, you know. So, uh, you know, definitely shout out to them. Definitely giving them a follow. Uh, I just want to put out a word from our sponsors. Uh, if you guys, like I said, you guys need any financial advice, you're looking for any financial products, whether you're retiring, you're looking to do something, definitely reach out to Henry and John at Lead Law Blue. Let them know we sent you. Find us unfiltered. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laid Law Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE. Outstanding. Take it seriously for the men and women out there who are still on the job. Take your financial retirement, your planning, Take it very seriously. You should enjoy your life, absolutely. I recommend you retire as soon as you can. We don't know what tomorrow brings. Every day on this earth, you should enjoy it. But please, especially if you have a family, plan for it. Look, poor Raul Colon and his family are at a time of loss right now. Tenth day in his retirement. I mean, it's just so tragic. It's so sad. Uh, we can only hope that he did the proper planning. So, if anything, give them a call. You don't have to sign up, but at least get some advice and make sure that you're on the right track and planning for your future and for your family. The worst thing could be is that, God forbid, something happens to you and you leave your family behind and they're not secure and they're hurting. You want them to be able to be secure and enjoy your memory. And you only want the best for your family. So please 
plan for your retirement, plan for your future. Enjoy. You guys work so hard. You deserve to enjoy it, and so does your family. Absolutely. And now the PBA probably has $100 million. I think they could spare 10000 to help somebody out. You know, they're going to they're gonna spend a lot more of that when, when, when one of their own dies. When their own passes away, they're going to spend big, big money on that funeral. They're going to help the family out as much as they can. They're going to promote their nephew's business. People that aren't even on this job, the least they could do is that, um, you know, I got accused of spreading misinformation the moment I put it out, but it wasn't misinformation. It was just a call. It was actually the exact accurate information is they're unwilling to even just click retweet the same way when uh, a friend of mine put me in contact with the Aaron Siri firm and they were given free article 78 representation. They were looking for cops. They wouldn't click retweet. None of the unions. Why? Because they don't work for you. They work directly for Mayor Adams in the city of New York, and they didn't want to do anything that could actually potentially win in new york city they didn't want to win those lawsuits any lawsuit that the unions did and, and specifically the pba like i said i was totally against those mandates i would have, if i was the judge i would throw them out because they would they, they it was controlled opposition just like their messaging most of the time pat hendry messaging is 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 definitely much stronger than pat lynch was but he's stealing basically everything that me and Eric are putting out, all of our tweets, anything we're commenting on. I mean, you could look, you could just look at the timeline, look at our time, look at their time. I mean, you could see who's putting stuff out first. And, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the head of the New York, the Kings County Conservative Party reached out to me. They were having a party to, you know, a closed door invite. I got an invite to go honor Pat Hendry, who I don't believe deserves honor because he was a default he was a default president that really wasn't an election but i do hear that he's a good guy i know he had a good career i'm very unhappy and so is eric the way that all of our unions are being run and how they're representing us and king's county uh, conservative party the head of it reached out to me sent me a closed door invite i'm not able to make it uh, but i did donate a ticket to a line of duty family just to reach out an olive branch right like just to say hey listen i'm not we're not against you Eric's not against you. I'm not against you. We just don't want to see it anymore. We don't want to see any of the anti-police politicians getting donations that are coming from police funds. It's in direct opposition to you guys. It's in direct opposition into the health of the city. It's actually funding the enemy as far as that's how I look at it, because this is this is what's going on. This is why New York City is the way it is right now. This is why I'm not at work anymore. This is why Eric's not at work anymore. This is why South Greco's not at work anymore. This is this is all of that. All your friends, your buddies who had a, who were fired or forced out or who were forced into taking something that they will lie to. This is why you your your job is no longer. It's a job now. It's no longer a secure career is because of them funding that uh, we reached out the olive branch. So, guys, PBA, I know you're listening to this. Make us look bad. Make us look stupid. Help out Raul's family however you can. I got to be honest, I'm quite perturbed. By this whole scenario. Raul Cologne, I don't consider him actually retired. Ten days of retirement. He never even received a, a pension check. Again, like I said, it's not even one New York City payroll period. I'm, I, I'm making a call to action. PBA, you should flip the bill to pay for this. He's not even retirement. Step up and do the right thing. It perturbs me that money easily gets withdrawn from the New York City PBA to pay, to pay for anti-police politicians. But we can't pay for a police officer that's in his 10th day retirement. I understand the rule. He's in retirement. But every rule was made to be broken. 10 days of retirement. Make that exception. 
You're the boss. You've signed checks before. You can make it happen now. Pay for these burial services. I can tell you right now, unfortunately, this podcast is still in its infancy. We are growing, and we're here to help. We do not have the funds right now, but we have the reach to help. But one day we will. And when we will, we would step in and pay for a burial services just as such. You can do it. You have the means. Make it happen. Show us you can do it. Show us your strength. Show us you care. And how do you care? Pay for these burial services so the family, the family doesn't have to worry about it. And don't just tell me about the death gamble. We know what the death gamble is. It's not enough. Step in. Do it now. I'm dependent on you. I believe in tough love. We don't hate you. We've had some opposition with different, different categories and different criteria and different scenarios. But this is an opportunity we can mend a relationship. Step in and help out. We want to see it. Absolutely. I mean, well said. I mean, I, that's really what it is. If we care, we care. Or if we don't, we don't, you know, if, and, and you know how you do that by your actions. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, again, even if even if they couldn't pay for it, the least they could do is get up and, and bring it, help bring awareness to this. Um, and that's not being done. But I do agree with you. They should pay for it. One thousand percent, as well as help the family out. You know, he has two young kids. I mean, his pension dies with him. That's it. Yeah, you get the death Campbell. That's a one-time payment, and it's over. He was a 20-year police officer. That death Campbell cannot be a lot of money. So, you know, and, and it's gone. His health, the health benefits for the children are gone. Everything's gone. Everything's gone because he retired 10 days ago. You know? Um, so, yeah, absolute tragedy. You know, uh, please help out any way you can. Like I said, even if it's five bucks, three bucks, whatever whatever the hell you could do. Or even if you could just help spread awareness about it. Um you know, back to blue, we're a family, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes time to show that you are, we don't do that. When the media can't, when the media is not there and the cameras aren't there, we don't do that. When it's not someone of significance that can't help you, we don't do that. And that's my problem with everything that's happened this last three years. Um, you know, but we're completely unapologetic uh, about anything that we've said or going to say on this podcast. And we're going to continue to have the uncomfortable conversations and highlight the things that people are talking about in the locker room and, and what we see from our own expert opinion of, of scenarios that are coming out. And, you know, we, we've done it before. The whole world's been against us each as individuals and now together as a collective. And it doesn't matter. Like, this is this is what it is. This platform's needed. I get reminded every day, and so does Eric, by the, the amount of overwhelming messages we receive from people who are struggling mentally, physically, that are afraid of the actions from this job, that are thinking about becoming cops, that are thinking about retiring, that want to leave early. And, you know, you would think that we would sit there and tell them, don't do it. Don't do that. Leave. Fuck the job. And it's the complete opposite. Anyone that's asked me advice about leaving early, I said, it's the worst financial decision in your life. Don't do it. Only do it if you if you're able to or it's your last resort. If it's you really can't go any further, you feel you can't do another day on this job. I, I always push everyone not to leave early. You know, I, I say I tell everybody to give it a shot, you know. Give it a shot. See what you can do. So does Eric. Um, and that's it. We're here. We're unapologetic. Absolutely. You know, I heard Andrew Tate. He said something the other day. And I think what he said was very important, very impactful. And what he was saying, I know he's a guy, some people either love him or hate him. But he did say something that was really impactful. And kind of genius, if you think about it. So what he was talking about is how people are being cowardice right now. Uh, the world is shifting. It's going crazy. And people are afraid to speak up because if they speak up, 
They're afraid they're not going to have enough money. They're not going to have a good job. Their wife's not going to treat them with respect. They're going to be totally emasculated. But what he said was back in the, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, you can live that type of lifestyle. He said a man could be passive and not speak out. And because if uh, the world was more affordable, you could still, and, and women, uh, there was much more defined roles between men and women in a household that women uh, showed men much more respect in a home, that they could live a, a lifestyle where they could have a house, a car, and a good job, and they could be meek and keep their mouth shut. It still feel like, like a respected man. But the world has completely shifted, and we, we don't live that lifestyle that where you could be passive and keep your mouth shut and still have a good job and still have enough money and still have a woman at home that respects you. The, the roles have been completely defined in a different manner. Men are being totally emasculated. So what I'm saying is, right, it's important now that John and I speak up, but it's important that you speak up too. We need you to speak up as well. So speak out on social media. If you're still on the job and you need to conceal your identity, do so. We've seen many impactful impactful uh, people on Instagram and Twitter speaking out that hide their identities. You can do it too. John and I speaking out. If you can't do it, let us know a topic or something that you want to trust. Let us know on the podcast, and we'll speak about it, and we'll seek the truth. That's ultimately the goal, is to seek the truth. That's what this is about, to make a better world, better country, a better police department for you to work in, and ultimately, better public safety and a better life for us all. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you're in a position where you're afraid and you don't want to and you're miserable, I highly recommend investing in yourself. I highly recommend taking advantage of all the opportunities that are afforded to you by being an active police officer, going to John Jay College for free, getting your degree, getting whatever training you can get while you're on the job. These things will help you on later in life. Don't burn bridges like me and Eric. Make connections while you're there, you know. But you, you know, what what you want to do is that's what you want to do. You want to invest in yourself. You know, you don't want to put the job. 100% first because the job doesn't put you 100% first. Invest in yourself, put your family first, do a good job, do what it, what it's expected of you, what you would expect a police officer to do when you when you're engaged in situations. But the, but also work on yourself, work on other outlets so that if something comes down the pipeline as crazy as the the mandate was, I know some of you don't think so, but I mean it could have been anything. It was completely illegal. It could have been anything. Eric Adams gets to sleep with uh, the wife on her wedding date, on her wedding night, or else you're getting fired, you know, and that's it. Let us sleep with her or whatever it may be. Don't you, do it. You should be in a position where you could say, no, absolutely not. I'm not. I, I am not on the plantation that Eric Adams owns. He's not going to sit there. This guy's a tyrant. You know, I don't know who said it, but somebody said it. They said if this dude, if this dude could, he would walk around in a robe and he would behead everyone that argued with him. And that's exactly what we're getting. You should be in a position where no one could treat you like that. Not a chief, not a mayor, not a governor, not a president. This is the United States of America. So, This job or career, however you want to put it, should be a segment in your life. It should be your life should be about accomplishments and missions, right? Especially for a man. Women too, but especially for a man. For a man to feel whole, men need a mission, and they need significance, right? So the police department should be a segment in your life. Your mission is to become a leader, to become a public servant, to help the public, to be a warrior, you know, to get an adrenaline rush, to 
be a part of a team. So make the job a part of you. Don't be a part of the job. Because when you retire, there's so much you can do. Use that job to build up and do other things, other things in life that you want to do. Make these parts of you, not you a part of that. So that's my ultimate goal and my ultimate mission to uh, explain to you is that you want to be, you want that job to be a part of you and, you know, an attribute, things that you have learned to make you a better person, but everything in your life should be a part of you. You went to high school, you went to college, you went to the military, whatever you took part in, whatever organization is a part of you. And that is what you build upon to be a better person every day. Your ultimate goal is how can I be a better person than I was the day before? But as you said, don't let the job just completely consume you that you have to make decisions that go against your moral principles, just like John did and many others that were against the vaccine and they stood a moral principle. And, and I agree with what you're saying, John. It, you may be put in a position someday, and don't say you can't, to do something in a different form or different matter that goes against your morals and principles. You have to ask yourself, will you do it to keep this job? The job is a segment of your life. It's to pay your bills. And if this job doesn't work out, if you're resourceful, you'll find other ways to do it. Absolutely. Well said, my friend. Listen, I got to get going. I got to wrap it up. I'm having a busy week here. Sorry we were, uh, you know, this is coming out late. Eric wasn't feeling well. He literally had no voice. He's he's still coming back way too early. Um, but we wanted to get it out there, especially the messaging about Eric Adams. Crime is not down. He is a complete failure. Bill De if he was Bill de Blasio, he would be getting chewed out right now. And the difference between Bill de Blasio and him is Bill de Blasio actually took it, and he can't. Any, any opposition, he, he goes right back to his race. Eric, you want to end us off? Anything you want to end with? No, again, I, I, John, thank you for taking this uh, venture with me. I think the mission is so important. Uh, again, help out Raul Colon. There's a GoFundMe page out there. He needs your help. His family needs your help. And I'd also just like to honor the Miracle Baby on behalf of Detective Rivera. Uh, I think it's uh, it's really impressive. His wife has showed great perseverance. She seems to be an amazing woman. Uh, I think she's completely honorable, and it's extremely special. I I'm amazed by it. I'm sure most people are. So it's an honor to see that she carries on her husband's legacy. What a powerful and impactful woman. You know, I, I salute you, honestly. I hope if you ever get to see this or someone tells you about it, I'm really impressed. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. 265 Police Live, brought to you by New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. We are the experts.